Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Grade and under, ear dismissed the children's worship. Luke chapter 2 tells a familiar story. Let me, let me, as you're turning there in your own Bible, real quick, um, there's a lot of pressure for preachers at Christmas, because you think, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta make this story that you know so well, and if you're 50 years old, you've heard it 50 times, I gotta make it fresh, but I just want you to know, there is nothing better than the same old story. It is familiar, but it will change your life, and this morning, I, I've just forgotten, uh, just given up the hope that that I can make it new, but I'm going to tell the same good old story this morning that you know so well, and, and let's ask God to give us fresh eyes to see it. So I want to look at the angel's message. I want to look real quick at the uh, son's description, and then I want to look at the miracle's location real fast. So the angel's message, they said these things, okay? So imagine shepherds are out in the field, and and they're tending their flocks like they had done every day. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. The angel came to them. And now if you were there like I were there, uh, the first thing they said was fear not. Why did they say fear not? Because they were fearing, right? They were afraid in that moment. Terrified. Now remember, if you, if you look back at the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord and the angel of the Lord was not some cherubim like we imagine uh, Cupid is, right? This is a terrifying angel of God who is overshadowing this scene, and the glory of the Lord is overshadowing all of it, and there is great fear. This is the same glory that God says to Moses, you can't see my glory and live. This is the kind of glory that is at odds with sinful man. And so they rightly, these shepherds rightly are terrified. It lights up the night. It was the same glory that Isaiah saw and said, Woe is me, I'm undone. And this glory is revealed from heaven to lowly shepherds and they are terrified as they should be. And the angel says, First, fear not. Fear not. Look at verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. Why? Why? Because God's glory this moment is not associated with judgment, but with good news. With good news. He says, fear not. For behold, I bring you Three things, good news of great joy for all people. Good news, this is what I want you to hear. The word there is euangelion. It's the Greek word that we get our English word the, uh, to evangelize, which is to share the good news. 
Now, this idea of good news is not telling you good advice. It is completely different than good advice. Good advice says if you will do this list of things, if you will keep up your end of the bargain, then God will. He'll love you. He'll accept you. He'll forgive you. Now, that is not good news because we can't keep up our end of the bargain. But this is not good advice, is it? He doesn't say, I've come to bring you good advice. And if you'll follow the ten steps of being more like God, you will be a blessed person. He says, I bring you good news. Good news reminds us of something that we don't do but has happened on our behalf. Good news is a report of something here that God is going to do for us. He says, I bring you good news. Good news of great joy. Now, when we think of the word joy, we kind of oversimplify that word. and We kind of mischaracterize that word and we confuse it with the idea of happiness. And joy and happiness are very different, aren't they? Joy is something that is deep-seated. Happiness is something that's fleeting. Happiness is built on circumstances and life situations. Happiness is built on what's going on around me. Joy is completely alien to me. It is out of this world kind of joy. And we got to recognize something here that the Bible tells us to be a joyful people. That Christians, Christians, we are to rejoice in all circumstances is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. Rejoice in all circumstances. And rejoicing is an outward expression of inward joy. So, Secondly, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, the second fruit of the Spirit is love and then joy. We as Christians ought to be the most joyful people on the planet. Or Paul might say that joy is indispensable to the Christian life. Think about it. Think about it. A Christian without joy is an oxymoron. It is. Now, here's the problem. Some of you guys need to tell your face that your heart has joy. Or if you don't have joy, you might need to check your salvation. Many of us, we walk around with a chip on our shoulder. We carry around the baggage of our past. And we let our circumstances define us more than we let the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ define your life. I mean, just what brings you the most joy? What's brought you the most joy in your life? Maybe you're a parent and you'd say, well, my babies did. Maybe you're a grandparent and you said, it wasn't the children, but it was the grandchildren. The grandchildren brought us the greatest joy. But marriage, maybe marriage, we're going to do a marriage in two weeks now. Um, we're going to celebrate a marriage. That brought me the greatest joy. Now, that's wonderful. But the good news of the gospel takes every earthly joy and happiness and overshadows it entirely. Earthly joy always pales in comparison to what God has come to bring us in Christ. Now, here's how I know that. Because of the joy of birth, will fade when they get to the terrible twos. Or they become a Tyrannosaurus rex. I don't know if I made that up, but you should, you should 
catch that. All right? If, if it's a job, that can be lost. If it's a bank account, that can go away. What is your joy? Sometimes the joy of a wedding ceremony doesn't last past the honeymoon. So what is it? What brings you joy? People bring you joy will eventually pass away. Maybe your life, you would say, my life's not been one of great joy, but my life has been one of great sorrow. My life is more akin to tragedy than than to joy. And I would say with you, that is what Jesus came to show us. Isn't His birth an example of the intermingling of joy and sorrow? I mean, think about it. Think about it. Jesus came into the world, how? To a poor little girl. There was not enough room in the inn. And so a manger was the first throne of the King of glory. Our lives in this world are a mixture of joy and sorrow. The question for you and me is which one will define us? It's good news of great joy and it's for all people. All people. Now, shepherds, outcasts of society, aren't they? You know what I know about shepherds. They were not looked upon well by the religious organization of the day. Shepherds were often thieves and dishonest. They were considered ceremonially unclean, even though many of these shepherds often provided sacrifices for the temple in Jerusalem. They couldn't themselves go into the temple and worship. They were foul-mouthed. They were profane. They were often drunkards. Their reputation and their smell preceded them wherever they went. And the angel's message came to them. That is not accidental. The angel just didn't type in a, a location in the GPS and show up and go, Oh, there's some shepherds here. Let's tell them. God distinctly planned that He would show up and reveal His redemptive story, the birth of the Christ child to lowly shepherds. Why? Because good news of great joy is for all people. Isn't that good? It's for you and it's for me. You would expect the message to go to royal palaces, the temple maybe, to the pure, to the religious, to the important But this message of good news and great joy is not just for the upper middle class. This good news of great joy is for the broken and the sick and the impure and the profane and the marginalized and the refugee and the unclean. It's good news of great joy for all people. That's you and me. That's you and me. The Jew and the Gentile, the Samaritan, the Syrophoenician woman... It's good news for them of great joy. For the demon-possessed and the prostitute, it's good news of great joy. For the prodigal son and the older brother, it's good news of great joy. It's good news for the rule keeper and the rule breaker. It's good news for all. Isn't that good? It's good news. I could say a lot about shepherds, but today I don't have time. I want to tell you what the angel said about the son. 
This baby, he, the angel described him three words. Look at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior, he is Christ, and he is the Lord. I want to just very briefly look at that. A Savior. Every one of us has the same sinful condition and the same spiritual need. You and I both need a Savior. We all need a Savior. There's none of us who doesn't need a Savior. Now, you, don't, you might think you don't need a Savior, but it does not negate the fact that you and I both need to be redeemed from our sinful condition. And you cannot live well enough that you don't need a Savior. Your sinful nature demands that a perfect nature intervene on your behalf to save you and to grant you a new nature. That's the Savior that you need. But he's Christ. The word Christ could be translated anointed one or chosen one. What do you mean? Well, the Bible from the very beginning of time has made a lot of promises about the Son. That there would one day be a Christ, a Messiah who would come and he would set all the wrongs right. And he would fix this broken world and he would start inside of me. And from the very beginning of time, God began to lay promises that He would be the promised one, the Messiah. That He would be the son of Eve who would slay the serpent. That the Christ is the better Noah who would deliver people from God's judgment. That the Christ would be the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham to bless the whole world. He's a better Isaac who would be slain on the mountain as a sacrifice. He's a better prophet like Moses, who would know God face to face and deliver God's people from slavery to sin. He is the better Passover lamb. He is the lawgiver and the law keeper. He is the great high priest. He is the last and final sacrifice of the book of Leviticus. He's a better Joshua who would give people a promised land. He is the good king. He's a better David who would defeat the giant of sin and death. He is the promised branch of David's family. He is the cornerstone of Psalm 18. He is God's chosen servant from Isaiah. He is the wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He is the son of man from the book of Daniel who would reign forever. He's the fountain of Zechariah filled with blood who will cleanse us from our sins. He is the Christ child born for us. He is the promised one of God who would save us from ourselves. All the Old Testament points to Jesus. It holds his breath waiting on the Christ's coming. And the angels declare he is here. He's the Christ. He's not just the Savior, He's the Christ, and He's the Lord. He is the great I Am in the flesh. Zechariah 12 says it this way, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. So that when they look on me, this is God speaking, when they look on me, On him whom they have pierced. What did Zechariah just say? That Yahweh would be pierced. 
They shall mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. Then Zechariah 13, 1 says, On that day a fountain will be opened that will cleanse you from your iniquity. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Your sin was so horrendous that God Himself would have to die to forgive them. But you are so loved that God was willing to do it. And last, the location. The location. A manger. What what does it say? They heard the message. Verse 15. The shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, found Mary and Joseph, the baby, lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told concerning this child. A manger. There was no room in the inn. Now, we could probably all have thoughts about the innkeeper, we'd probably condemn him and go, man, that guy is just, he's something. But aren't we all like that innkeeper? Who find our lives so busy at times that we make no room for Christ? There's no room in the end, and it is a reminder to us of Christ's humility. Just like Mr. Marty read a little while ago that, um, that God descended from heaven left His throne, left His glory, put on flesh, took on the form of man. He humbled Himself. How low? To a manger low. To a cross low. It's a reminder of His humility and it's a reminder that for you and for me, listen, He was laid in a manger for goodness sake. Do you know how filthy those are? Today, when when you're given birth, you go to the cleanest place you can go. Nary, a barn, an animal stall, cave, dark and dingy, full of you-know-what. And then she took a stone basin used as an animal's feeding trough, and she laid the king of glory in that trough. And it's a reminder that your heart, no matter how dark, no matter how dingy, no matter how cold, no matter how sinful, is not too filthy for the King of glory to come in and dwell. And if you would make room for Jesus, the Savior, the Christ, who is the Lord, if you'll make room for Him, I promise you, He will come into your life and He will transform you. So, Let me bring it home. How does this apply to us? Number one, you need to make room for Jesus. And some of you, you've not made room for Jesus. You've made room for religion or church attendance, but you've never made room for Jesus, the Christ, who is the Lord, to come in and dwell in your life. And today you can. You can make room for Him. You can let the King of glory come in and rule and reign in your life. And I promise you, you will not regret it if you do.
Secondly, don't let your circumstances steal the joy that you have because of Christ's abiding in you. Let what Jesus accomplished for you in his life, burial, or life, death, burial, and resurrection, let what Christ has accomplished for you be the defining work in your life. And might we be uncommonly joyful in this world that is desperate for light. And three, be like the shepherds. Not the profane, foul-mouthed drunkards, okay? Take showers in Jesus' name. Not that. But when they received the message, they immediately obeyed it with haste. They found the babe in a manger, and then they made the message known to everybody they came in contact with. Can you imagine being the shepherds on that night, knowing that you smell like something? And you're banging on every door that you come in contact. Come and see! Come and see! You're not going to believe. He's here. The one we've been waiting for. A Savior. The Christ. The Messiah. He's here. The Lord has come to earth. He's here. And through the message of the shepherds, many people heard about the birth of a Savior. See, they had the privilege of seeing the baby. We have the privilege of knowing what the baby came to do. I don't need to see a baby in a manger to proclaim what he's come to do. I know what he came to do. I know what he offers. I not only have the experience of knowing what he's come to do, But I have had the experience of Him coming into me and transforming me. Have you had that experience? So, what's it worth to you? What's it worth to you to make the name of Jesus known in hard places? And you don't have to cross an international border and get a passport to make the name of Jesus known in difficult places. But I promise you there are billions of people today as we wait on the second advent or coming of Jesus, there are billions of people awaiting His first one because they don't know. What's it worth to you? Is it worth committing to prayer? Is it worth committing to giving above and beyond to Lottie Moon? And is it worth committing to go? Many of you I look at today, you're retired. And you got nothing but time. What if you gave up a year of that time and went and spent it on the mission field? Right now, you're going, well, well, well uh, Ryan, you, you don't, uh, well, just, uh, you don't know my circumstance. <laughs> I could never do that. You mean God couldn't use a shepherd? 
to make known the name and glory of Jesus? I beg to differ. Let's pray. Actually, stand with me.